your Bible, please open it up to um, the letter, the second letter of Paul to the Corinthians. That is, so Second Corinthians. For those of you guys who don't know that Paul wrote it, which he did. Um, chances are, this is not actually the second letter he wrote to them. This is uh, could be the third or even later. Um, Paul had an incredible relationship with the Corinthian church. And, to be honest with you, um, you know, church is a funny thing because it's filled with people, right? And people are funny. I mean, we all have our weird little quirks, don't we? When you think about it, we're all, we all have this weird side. And in the words of, what was his name, um, Robin Williams from Goodwill Hunting, uh, a lot of a lot of uh, swearing in that movie, but certainly one of my favorites. Um, Robin Williams said, we get to choose who we let into our weird little worlds. And my wife accuses me of being weird all the time. And I am weird all the time. But so are you. So are you. In fact, oh my gosh, last Sunday, I was up. I was in Prescott um, after, after, after worship. And Tori let me use her iPhone. And it was the very first time that I got on this little, this little fun website or whatever it's called. I don't even know what you call it. Vines? And that's when I found out how weird at least like three or four of you are. Like, Ashley, I saw you. Oh, yes, I watched all yours. And so did millions of people, apparently. And then the funniest one was Jim. There was Jim after, uh, after uh, have you guys heard of this smack cam? Now, I think that's funny where they randomly go up and smack people's face with stuff. <laughs> I know Jesus Jesus would like smack cam, maybe. Um, but after smack cam and some other weird stuff, there's Jim saying, what do cats dream about? <laughs> it was weird, but it was funny. So, and then who else got one? Brandon, of course. Anybody else on Vine? Nick. Yeah. Yeah, Nick is a weirdo. But we all knew that. So the Corinthian church was also filled with characters, just like all churches. And they, they went through stuff just like all churches do. And of all the churches that, that Paul was involved in, the Corinthian church was one of the ones that was the worst, but he loved the most. Corinthian church was dysfunctional. They had some issues. Um, I think in the letter of, to 1 Corinthians, there apparently in the church was a guy who was sleeping with his stepmom. And the people in the church were like, apparently being kind of okay with it. And Paul's like, what? what's going on? That's some messed up stuff, right? I mean, that's some Jerry Springer stuff that Paul's having to write to. You would think that Paul would not have to address those kind of issues, that they would have some kind of sense, but they didn't. And not only that, they... Um, they love to get crazy in the Holy Ghost in that church, which I'm not totally opposed to. But these people, um, they got they got wild with it. They were swinging from the rafters apparently in church, and everybody's speaking in tongues, and nobody knows what's going on. Which I've been in some of those services and and been touched by God in them. But apparently the Corinthians were just going nuts, and then they'd come to communion, and people were getting drunk. They'd go up to the communion table, and they're like, "Oh, give me that whole glass." throw it down, some people are getting hammered, some people have nothing to eat, and Paul has to write to this church, right? It's an intense little situation. 
So he writes one to them, and then it, it just doesn't go well. There's some people that don't like him in the church anymore, some people that are opposed to his leadership in the church. And he's trying to, to, to set the church straight on that and help them think clearly about what's going on. And some people are all upset, and then they're divided. Some people are like, I like this teacher, and other people are like, I like that teacher. And they're getting all caught up in the, in the big personalities of the day. It would be like somebody going, I love Joel Olstein, And people are like, give me a break. Right? And so there's, there's all this, like, division going on, chaos. This is, this is the Corinthian church. And you know what's shocking about it? When Paul starts the letter, he addresses them as, like, brothers and sisters and saints. Holy ones. What? I mean, was Paul just, like, lying? No. I think he understood the church is filled with people that are broken and on a journey. And so Paul doesn't visit them. Apparently he writes them a letter which could be called the tearful letter. Um, Paul's really broken and, and really hurting over this church. He loves them and they love him and they're trying to work through issues together. He writes them a, apparently a tearful letter and then he comes to, maybe he comes to this letter we're looking at today, the second letter we have in the Bible to the Corinthians. Um, I'm going to read a very small text that I find absolutely fascinating that I think can speak to us today. Paul is trying to explain to them why he didn't come and visit them when he said, because he just didn't want to cause them more pain by having more confrontation than was necessary. And he's trying to work these issues out, and some people are like, whatever, you didn't come when you said, and Paul's still trying to defend his, his leadership. And then he's explaining why, why he hasn't shown up lately. And then he also does want to show up and be with the Corinthians and work things out face to face. And so he's explaining where he's been and what he's been up to and why he's absent. And then he writes this little text, which I find absolutely fascinating. It's in the second chapter of 2 Corinthians, starting at verse 12. Paul writes, Now, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ, and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. Let's pray. Lord, speak to us this morning. Help me as I minister. Help us to hear. Bring us help, hope, healing, boldness. In Christ's name, amen. Have you ever blown it? in your life? You know, there's, there's the, the type of blowing it that's like, man, I did something really stupid or I did something wrong and I regret it. But then there's also the kind of blowing it that you look at your life and go, wow, I had this opportunity or that opportunity and I just blew it. Kind of like um, I felt that way when I graduated from high school. Believe it or not, now let, let me preface this. So I'm trying to save face and look halfway decent before I tell you this little tidbit. Uh, currently, in graduate school, I'm almost done, and I have 
nine something GPA or three point nine something GPA in graduate school. So I can do the work, right? And that includes doing Greek and Hebrew and all that stuff. In high school, I graduated 14th from the very bottom of my class with a one point something GPA. Barely, barely, I got like all D's and some D minuses. And, you know, there was, I'm going to be honest with you, there were girls in high school. Isn't that crazy? It's like I go to class and I'm looking around and it's like, yeah, that's a math equation on the board. But look at her. You know what I mean? It's like, guys, you've been there? Anybody like me? Okay, so my, my, my Bears fan, Nick, there are girls there. Like that Axe commercial. Is it Axe Body Wash? The world's in a crisis. Girls are getting hotter. That's kind of how I felt, right? And so I was, I had a social life. I had a social life. And just it, math, history. I mean, come on. Who's got time for this? I got to figure out where I'm going to be, what I got to do when I get out of school, and what I'm going to be doing on the weekend. And so um, I failed algebra one three times in high school because I got an A first semester. And then I went to Christmas break. And then I was like, I got really social at Christmas break, and I'm like, how dare you give me two weeks for Christmas break? So I personally took four. You can't get in behind, you can't really get behind in some subjects if you're not willing to do the work to catch up. You know what I mean? So I failed second semester, which averages out to an F. So my senior year of high school, I took like I had to take eight classes a day, plus a correspondence course through American schools in Chicago so I could graduate, and they still wouldn't give me my cap and gown with everybody else. So I remember later on in my life when I kind of wise, I got a little wiser, and I felt like God was calling me into, into ministry, I needed to go back to school. I needed to go to college. And I'm thinking, how in the world am I going to go to college? A one point something, a D minus GPA. I got no extracurricular activities. Plus, I'm old now. That's how I felt anyways. Like, how in the world am I supposed to do this? Plus, my high school didn't even give me my diploma because I refused to pay for one of my textbooks that somebody threw out a window into a snowdrift. True story, I have no high school diploma right now. I do have a high school diploma technically, but I do not have it to hang on my wall because they were like, we're keeping that thing until you pay for this literature book, which probably went out of print or needed to be updated the next year anyways. You know how that is, educators, right? So I felt like I totally blew it. I'm like, I just blew my opportunities. I blew my chance. I could have went to college like right out of high school, which is what I should have done. I know that's not for everybody, but I know that's what I should have done. You know, it would have been nice to go to a four-year university and boom, put it out of, just knock that degree out. Didn't do that. I had to find another way. And would you believe that I ended up finding other ways, obviously. Stuff opened up. Um, but I couldn't go the route that I would have gone because I blew it. There's, there's the kind of feeling that I've blown it that comes from saying I had an opportunity and I just missed it. Or I just blew it for who knows, who knows whatever reason. I got focused on the wrong thing whatever. You don't have to raise your hands on this, but 
how many of you guys who would say, well, first of all, how many of you guys have ever said you would blow it? You've blown it in your life on something. Yeah. You know, it can be school. It can be financial matters. Jeez, it can be all kinds of things. That's one thing. But then there's the, then there's the regret that comes with feeling like we blew it. And that regret seems to just hang on and hang on and hang on. That regret can fill us with guilt. And we can focus on how we've blown it and feel full of regret, full of wishing we could return to the past, feeling guilt in ourselves, and even feeling ashamed. We can feel like, some of us, the fact that we might have blown it at one point or another, and we experience these kinds of emotions and, and conditions of our inner lives, we can, we can get to the point where we feel like, I don't deserve another chance. Why should I get another chance? We can begin to label ourselves as failures who always blow it. We can stop looking for opportunities and feel like we just don't deserve one. It's, it gets even worse for the people of God in some ways. Because we can, we can look at our relationship with God and, and feel like we've blown it. And then we can really beat ourselves up. Really beat ourselves up and feel like we don't deserve another chance. Why would God ever give me another chance? I've seen that happen to so many people. A, a person in my own family, God called to ministry a long time ago. And they married the wrong person. And that's possible, I think. Once you're married, you're married. And they tried to do, he tried to do everything he could to stay married. But she had an affair on him and it was an awful situation. They ended up getting a divorce. And this person shut down. They felt like they had blown it in every way possible and that God was completely done with them and there was no chance whatsoever for them to do anything else for God. I personally think that's tragic. There's some Christians that don't agree with me on that, but they're wrong. Um, you know, uh, we can really shut ourselves down when we feel like we've blown it. What's interesting about the text we just read is that Paul is talking about a time in his life that was like that. A time in his life where it looks like he might, he might have blown it. That God apparently had given him a great opportunity. And Paul was going through some stuff. And he couldn't bring himself to take advantage of it. And he was done. What I find fascinating about the text is that we might think that Paul here would react like a lot of us would. That, that Paul's going to tell us this short story about a time when he appears to have blown it and then be filled with regret and guilt and shame and, and shut down because of it. But he doesn't. The very next thing he says after he tells us that short little story in those two verses is say something that is so surprising to me. His perspective can offer help, 
hope, healing, and wholeness to those of us who have blown it at one time or another. Those of us who feel like we've blown it. Can I read it again? Just listen to it this time. Paul writes, Now when I went to Troas, just like a city, it is a city, when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, I found that the Lord had opened a great door for me. I still had no peace of mind because I didn't find my brother Titus there. So, I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ, and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. What stands out to me in this text is this. God opens doors. Sometimes we close them. But God opens new ones. God opens doors. Sometimes we close them. But God opens new ones. Let's take a look at what I'm saying. God opens doors. We see in verse 12 that Paul, if you, if you read the context of this, you'll find out that Paul was, had experienced a very difficult season of life. Very difficult in his relationships with the Corinthian church. He was in the province of Asia and he experienced some very difficult opposition. In fact, at the beginning of Corinthians, he said that he despaired even of life that he thought that his situation essentially had become hopeless from a human point of view. And he said that forced them, that, that caused them to turn, that caused him and his companions to turn their eyes toward God and put their hope in Christ, who can, in the God who will raise the dead. He even thought he was going to die. This has been going on and on. You would think a person like Paul, as good as he was, as smart as he was, as bright as he was, that that he would have been successful and been enjoying blessings everywhere he went, but he didn't. He had a very difficult season of life. Very difficult. If I were to guess, Paul is a very spiritual man that prays like crazy. He's very gifted. He studies the scriptures. Chances are Paul knows like three or four languages at least. Very intelligent person. If I were to guess, though, I would say that because Paul is human, I would say that Paul would have been experiencing maybe a bit of being depressed going through that. How would you not? How would you not? When you look at what he's gone through. And so he comes to Troas, and he's, he's, he's trying to put off more confrontation because one, I think he's probably very uh, struggling himself. But two, he doesn't want to cause more pain for the church that he cares about. So he comes to this seaport city, Troas. 
and he finds something surprising. He's still being faithful to God. He comes there and is preaching the gospel of Christ. And he says, I found that the Lord had opened a great door for me. The language here gives us the imagery of that God had personally kicked the doors wide open for him. This was a great opportunity. A great opportunity that was presented to Paul. This open door is kind of debated. What was it? Well, we're not exactly sure. But it may have been that he had come into this city and that people of means had taken them in and given him a house to set up shop in as a base of operations and was taking care of his needs so that he could just focus on getting out. It may have been he was getting great results in Troas. The people were becoming awakened to God all the time, everywhere. That They were just responsive. They got it, and, and things were exploding. I think that, I find that awesome, that he comes through this season that's difficult. And he's still in a season that's difficult. But God knows how to show up. God knows how to surprise him. God knows how to meet his needs. God knows how to show up and show off. Finds this door kicked wide open. I thought about Nick, who I'm, you know, when we first started together, I was just his youth pastor and mentor, and now I'm incredibly grateful to God that I can call he and Tori my friends. Yesterday, I got to sit in a meeting of the denomination, the Church of God, we have what's called a ministerial internship program. It is part of the ordination process, and they try to kill you during this program. Seriously, they... they they put you through the ringer. It's a very, very intense nine-month internship um, where they're required to do um, uh, several classes, show up for all-day Saturday lectures and workshops, and then I have to give him, or a supervising pastor has to give him, um, weekly assignments, and he's constantly checking in, checking in, checking in, checking in. There's accountability like you wouldn't believe. Julie and I went through this, thought I was going to die. I mean, uh, it was, we had, Julie and I had just got married, and uh, like Nick, I was working full-time and a physical job at the time, and we were just, we would, I would go to work, you know, very early, before the sun comes up, I'd do my full-time jobs, most of the time, a lot of the time that year, we're doing 10-hour days, um, and very physical labor, and then I would come home just in time to get cleaned up and take a shower, I came home filthy. And then I would have to start studying. And then Julie would come home. We'd break for dinner for about a half an hour. And we'd start study again. And we'd study until 10 o'clock at night. And go to sleep and do it all over again six days a week. Um, so Nick and Tori said yes to that. Why? Because they're crazy. But there's another reason why. Because God's call on their life. I can honestly say I've watched Nick... Um, grow over the past, what, eight years in tremendous ways, and then grow in his pastoral leadership, you know, over the past five. And most of most of his journey has been very difficult. Um, you know, he came up in my youth ministry at a place where we had enough money to do whatever we wanted. And he came to a ministry where he had that much of a budget. 
where he had to learn to do everything over again and could never really repeat what he learned to do with under Mia Parkway. So there was ups and downs in all of that, doing life together, and he and Tori have stuck at it for five years. You know the average youth pastor only lasts like two years? That's it. So don't get mad at youth pastors when they come and go every two years or two and a half years. That's average. So they beat the average. You know what was awesome about yesterday is I was sitting in this meeting with Nick, which I personally didn't want to be at, but I had to be anyway. And I'm listening to what's going on in the meeting, and it's so obvious to me that God has decided to open doors for them. That God has decided to open doors. Our church wasn't in a position to be able to pay uh, the tuition for Nick and Tori to go through this program. And another pastor who I never called has seen Nick and Tori's faithfulness for five years, seen them show up and dig in even when times were tough. And that guy was impressed and said, our church is going to pay 100% of your way through the program. Isn't that awesome? Not only that, there are pastors that are opening their doors and want to give them opportunity. Nick got elected onto the state youth board in Arizona, which means that he has a lion's share of the say of what happens for over 52 churches in this state, dealing with hundreds of kids. God knows how to open doors. Even when we think we're obscure, when we think we're invisible, when we think we're not important. God knows how to cause people to see us. God knows how to show up. God knows how to put us where we need to be. So there's Paul on his journey after a difficult season comes to Troas and wham, the Lord opens this door and it's shocking. But the next part is even more surprising to me. God opens doors but sometimes they close, but other times we close doors. God opens doors, but sometimes we close them. In verse 13, Paul goes on to say, I found this great door open for me, a wonderful opportunity. Things were taken off. All kinds of good stuff was happening. And he said, and yet I had no peace. I could not find peace in my mind, in my heart. I wasn't at peace. I couldn't find it. He said, I couldn't find my brother Titus. Titus was one of his young ministry companions. I think there's a lot to see when what Paul is saying. Paul devoted his whole life to God, to ministry. You would think he would be there at that moment going, all right. But what he was going through stopped him from being able to celebrate it the way that he might have wanted to at a different point. He just couldn't do it. Maybe Paul, his heart was so broken for the church at Corinth that he just couldn't focus his mind on taking care of 
what was happening at Troas. His pastoral concern for what was going on in other places was always occupying his heart and his mind, and he couldn't get any peace about it at all. Maybe that was what was happening. Maybe Paul was weary from his hardships. You know what I love about Jesus when you look at his ministry? Jesus, several times, comes to his disciples after his disciples had been out doing the tough stuff. They've been out in the community casting out demons and healing people and preaching to the masses and feeding 5,000 and doing all this kind of stuff. Or not the feeding of 5,000 in this case. But Jesus comes to them and routinely says, let's get away. Let's go rest a while. Jesus was a young guy. A little younger than I am now, most likely. Most of his disciples are young guys. And I can see him going, you know, we've been working hard. You guys are tired. Let's get out into the wilderness, throw down some sleeping bags, have a campfire, mess around. Let's rest. Let's take a breather. I love that about Jesus. As in an American culture, we don't see that right away. We like to see Jesus, the producer. Jesus, the CEO that gets results. Jesus, the workhorse. Jesus, the unstoppable. Jesus, the invincible. And yet, throughout the scriptures, we see Jesus, the tired. Jesus, the resting. Jesus, the one that withdraws to solitary places. Jesus, the one that gets so worn out, he's taking a nap in the back of a boat that is in a storm. Because sometimes that's what we need in life, isn't it? I like that. I like that Jesus looks at us and says, Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. Jesus likes to call himself the good shepherd. I like to think of Psalm 23 with that. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for he is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. He prepares a table for me in the very presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus is a good shepherd who cares for his flock. I love it that Jesus didn't call himself the good cowboy. That we don't see a picture of Jesus riding up on his steed with a big 10-gallon hat with a whip in his hand and a lasso saying, Yeah, yeah, move on, doggies! We see a shepherd that cares for the flock. Paul comes here in Troas, and even though there's this great opportunity, he had experienced hardship, and maybe that was wearing on him. Maybe Paul was lonely, experiencing a bit of isolation. It's one of the biggest dangers facing people that serve God in, in preaching and teaching ministry. Isolation. Loneliness. Paul says, I couldn't find my brother Titus there. 
had no peace. And so we look at the text, and what, what does Paul do? There's this great opportunity, but Paul shuts the door. The text gives us the indication that the Lord opened the opportunity for him. The Lord gave him this chance. Paul, for whatever reasons here, said, I can't do it. Shut the door. What do you think about that? Was Paul being disobedient? Was Paul sinning? According to the way some Christians look at it, they would have to say yes. Because God clearly gave him a clear direction. I can see the people at Troas going, Paul, what are you doing? What are you thinking? Look at all this good stuff that's happening. Why would you shut this door? Surely that can't be the will of God. Surely that couldn't be. But Paul shuts it anyways. Or maybe God opens doors and gives us a choice. Maybe sometimes God says, you could do this, or you can do that. Maybe God gives us several options. Maybe God gives us the ability to choose because he wants us to make choices at times. And maybe God's okay with that. Maybe God's okay. Maybe God understands what we go through and he says, I'm going to open doors for you. Choose. Paul chose to shut it. The next part surprises me the most in the text. The next part is amazing to me. God opens doors, sometimes we close them. But God opens new ones. But God opens new ones. Listen again to Paul's very next thought after he says, I shut the door. He says in verse 14, But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ, and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. Now, I would have thought right here, Paul should have said something about how poor of a decision he made. Or how he wished he was stronger at that moment. Or how disappointed in himself he is. Or how God was disappointed. Or how he was disobedient. Or how he felt guilty. Or how he felt regret about his decision. I would have thought Paul might have interjected something right there like that. You know, it kind of seems like appropriate when a God sets a great door open in front of you. And you say, no thanks God. I would have thought that. I would have been expecting that right here. Something like that. But it's not there. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession. Always and everywhere. Does that mean that God even leads us in triumphal procession in Christ at the times when we can't bring ourselves to say yes? Does that mean that God knows how to even guide and direct us when we come to a point in our life when we can't bring ourselves to take advantage of an opportunity or walk through a door that God knows how 
to still lead and guide and direct us. And he's great enough to accept us and understand what we're going through and, and experience life with us. And that he knows how to be our friend and our father. You know what's absent from here? Paul doesn't give us a picture of a God who's angry. How dare you, Paul? How dare you say no? How dare you turn down this great opportunity? How dare you? Why can't you be stronger? Why can't you be tougher? Why can't you just suck it up and deal with it? Paul doesn't give us a picture of God like that at all. Not at all. But a God who is compassionate and loving. A God who is God at the times when we realize in our lives that we're not and we can't be. So much, so much of our lives we, we kind of operate like we are our own gods. God, God's greater. It's funny, Paul uses this real paradox here. He says, God who always leads us in triumphal procession. This whole idea of a triumphal procession is really kind of confusing. Because this is what it this is what Paul might be alluding to here. Think about this, this is intent. Paul says, leading us in triumphal procession. A triumphal procession that Paul had in mind may have been what it looked like when an emperor or a great general of the Roman Empire went and conquered a group of people and enslaved an entire population and then paraded them publicly through the streets on the way to wherever they're gonna be in service as a sign of this conquering general or Caesar's great victory. So that, so that after 70 AD, when Jerusalem was destroyed and the temple was torn down by the Romans, thousands of Jews were paraded, were paraded into Rome, where later on they built the Roman Colosseum and had to build monuments that actually publicly ridiculed them. And those monuments stand in Rome today. Paul envisions himself like one of those conquered slaves following in the triumphal procession of Christ the King who has won a victory for all of humanity. And yet Paul loved this kind of thing. Yet while he pictured himself as a servant he realized that he was participating in the victory celebration of Jesus and would gladly be paraded through the streets in public and say, Christ is the king, he has conquered, he is victorious. That, that Paul said, whether things are looking good or not, God in Christ is always leading us in triumphal procession, always and everywhere spreading through us the fragrance of Christ to the world. Everywhere. Even when Paul was at a point where he had to say, even when he said, I can't walk through that door. Wow. That's way different than the God I heard about growing up sometimes. Who was this ultimate authoritarian perfectionist that wanted to nitpick every little thing I do and expect me to live up to unrealistic expectations in every area of my life and would be angry about any opportunity that he tossed my way 
that I might not want to be a part of at the time. It's a God who has won the victory for us. This is about Christ who has claimed us as his people, who has determined that he is going to display through us his victory on behalf of the world. It's him that works through us. And that even when we come to the end of ourselves, and even when we come to places where we think we've blown it, even when we think we have failed, even when we think that our situation is beyond hope, even then we find ourselves still in the procession of Christ who is leading us and proclaiming to the world that he is victorious and welcomes all, even then. I was really encouraged, and I was really encouraged this week by something Nick told me. Um, because Nick is going into MIP, um, it's going to take a tremendous amount of his time. He's taking a step back from weekly youth ministry. Um, he'll always be a youth pastor in his heart because you'll never get away from that. And God's certainly not through with where he's ministering. I heard about a conversation that Nick had with the people that came on the last night they were having worship together a couple weeks ago. And how there was some of the, the former youth in the room who were saying things kind of like this. I wish we would have done better. We could have tried this. We could have tried that. We could have done this. We could have done that. I wish we would have just tried harder, done better, and maybe this wouldn't be happening. I wish we would have put more effort into things. Which, I don't, I get totally what they're saying. Totally get it. It's heartbreaking at times. I've had those meetings myself. And yet, that was two weeks ago. What Nick told me yesterday, I believe, was incredible to me. Because rumor has it that there's at least couple of the, a couple of those students who have said, that door might be closed now. But they've decided that they are going to go out and seek God and start a college group and continue on serving God and look for new opportunities and look for God to open new opportunities for them to be about his work. When Nick told me that, I was like, now that's getting it. I don't know how they get it because they're like way younger than some of us and most of, I do stupid stuff all the time. But when I heard them say that, I'm like, and that's the game. That's what it's about. Because somehow in that moment, whether it was from God, the Holy Spirit, who knows what happened, they got the fact that even though there was an open door and even though they, they might have played a part in it closing, who knows whether they did or not, God isn't done with it. God's not finished. And God intends to open new doors and lead them to new places. You know what's awesome? is that Paul wrote this letter to the, the second letter to the Corinthians maybe because he went away from Troas. Maybe if he stayed in Troas and got so busy, this letter might not have been written for us like that. Think about how many millions of people have read that letter. 
I mean, even if Paul was having a mega church in Troas, Paul had the CCV of Troas, there's only, you know, 20,000 people or whatever coming out. But Paul here, he's writing this. Somehow it is in connection with him closing that door. Millions of people have read it, and we've read it, and God is using it even in this room right now. That's awesome to me. I conclude with this. Alexander Graham Bell made this remark. The first part of it is a, is a cliche that I don't find very comforting. I actually don't like it at all. It just doesn't comfort my soul. The second part of it, the second part of it, calls me to pay attention and think. He said, when one door closes, another door opens. Ooh. Now listen to this. But so often, we look so long with regret upon the closed door that we do not see the ones which open for us. He said, we all might go, yes, when one door closes, another opens. But in practicality, so many of us, myself included, look so long and so regretfully at the closed door that we can't see any other doors that God is opening for us. Church, may we be the kind of people that mourn when doors closed appropriately, but will not let ourselves forever stare with regret at closed doors beating ourselves up, but may we allow God to give us eyes that see when He opens new doors and the courage and the faith to walk through them into a future that is still in His hands everywhere and at all times because we belong to Him. Sam.